a Yankees pitcher forgets who daddy is. Speaking of daddies, Big Poppy, he's ready to award a mega deal to one Astros player. And hey, did you know that the only guy who served any sort of suspension for Boston's 2018 sign-stealing scandal now works for the Dodgers? I'd say you can't script this stuff, but Arian Foster would disagree. It's episode nine of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange, the wise man in the middle of Sports Map Houston senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read him weekly on uh, sportsmap.com. Uh, the guy that edits that column is sportsmap.com editor Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. And besides all the written and video work he does, you can listen to him Sundays on his show, Moneyline on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM. Gentlemen, Charlie, Josh, welcome in. Welcome to you, gentlemen. <laughs> what is up? Appreciate it. Well, um, guys, before we get going here, just one new uh, for our live audience that's making their way in. So we'll say welcome in and make sure you interact with us in the chat. We'll feature some of those favorite messages on screen. Do us a solid like this video right now. And if you are a Stone Cold Strohs virgin, we do this podcast live at 3 p.m. every Monday here on YouTube. The audio version goes up Monday night. So if you prefer listening, just search Stone Cold Strohs on your favorite podcast provider like Apple or Spotify. And while you're there, give us a sub and subscribe. Right? Consider giving us a five-star rating. You can follow our parent channel, Sports Map Houston, on all your favorite social platforms like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And of course, right here on YouTube, just search at Sports Map H-O-U. Gentlemen, let's get right into it. Enough of me blabbing my mouth. Another week, another guy writes a book using the Astros for sizzle. This time, it's former Astros beat writer for The Athletic, Evan Drellich. His book is called Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Mind Creates the Sport's Biggest Mess. Uh, do we have a card for that on screen? There, there we go. Um, and so that's, that's Alvin Drellich and that's his, uh, I think high school level graphics design team that made the, uh, cover for his book, uh, which, you know, kind of fits into the criteria, all this, cause this is the low hanging, the lowest of low hanging fruit as far as MLB headlines, especially in February, uh, you know, the book releases on Valentine's Day. This, the early promotional excerpts are making the rounds in sports media. A lot of it focuses on quotes uh, for really uh, unnamed or unsourced quotes about or from Alex Cora, from players on the Red Sox team, saying that he was brazen in his complicity and pride in the 2017 Astro science stealing scandal. Cora was overheard as saying, quote, we stole that bleeping World Series. Guys, what do you think about round 500 of Astros were naughty in 2017? Is it just me or am I just getting a sense you won't be buying the book? I won't have to. I think I'm getting the I'm getting I think I'm getting the meaty parts right now, right? I am curious even in Boston, New York, Los Angeles, at what point does fatigue of all this set in right this is the 2023 season we're approaching alas we're still more than seven weeks from it beginning so you have to kill a little time one way or another uh the occasional revelation and the latest ooh ah quote 
okay. Uh, but those vaporize largely into the ether at this point. There's not going to be any renewed or further investigation. So, hey, all power to the author writing a book and trying to sell books. Uh, I just think at this point, the the overall reaction is, and for audio only, I just shrugged. <laughs> for me, it's it's the stuff in the Boston Herald about Cora and, and, and him blowing up and having fights with A.J. Hinch and, and Jeff Blum gets in on this. This is the stuff I found really interesting because – I mean, almost every outlet has some version of this article, but the one on the, the Boston Herald, I found Cora allegedly drinking too much, had it out with Jeff Blum. Basically, Cora turned the music up while they were on the team bus and the guys were trying to call their family after Hurricane Harvey and Jeff Blum had a problem with it. Like, hey, we're, we're trying to make some phone calls, turn the music down. They get in a big fight. According to the Boston Herald, he says, he's your buddy. You want him to be your bench coach being Blum. You don't trust me. Uh, Cora re uh, reportedly told Hinch after the bus fight, it's been like this all year long. So we heard about the, the A.J. Hinch smashing the monitors. We've heard those reports. Looks like him and Cora, they did not get along. And Cora claims that them fighting actually made their relationship a little stronger but AJ reportedly told some colleagues that, you know, that they should have fired him a, a long time ago, but he's doing too good of a job. Guys like Beltran and, and Bregman got along with him too well. Did, they didn't want to make any moves. So this is all the stuff where I'm really interested in. All the World Series stuff feels kind of old hat to me. But hearing that Jeff Blum is in the mix here with Cora and AJ Hinch was really surprising to me. Well, obviously, it can take a while for stories to surface, right? The whole scandal didn't blow up until post-2019 or in the postseason of 2019. But you'd think if the manager and his bench coach were at each other's throat and coexisting barely, they got a scintilla of that, something uh, along the way. Uh, but if uh, a little spice, uh, a little mutual feistiness benefited the cause... I mean, there are a lot of bells that can't be unrung through this whole saga, and the most important one is the Astros won the 2017 World Series. So if Alex Cora and H.A. Hinch didn't have a celebratory hug or keep each other on Christmas card lists after Cora went to the Red Sox, oh well. I think it's going to be really tough for people, especially in Boston, I think, to take a hard stance on this without being – hypocritical because a lot of the fans and media rationalized Cora's rehiring in 2021 by painting Cora out to be a guy that had just been, this had all been pinned on him by Astros players who really didn't want to take blame. He was kind of the fall guy and here's him allegedly quoted, which by the way, that's something this book has in common with Andy Martino's book, which is a ton of, of quotes that are from unnamed players that were interviewed for this. Here's these quotes where he's admitting to all these things in which the fans and media in Boston had kind of downplayed. And I think people who, you know, wanted to believe the Astros were the big bad wolf, uh, you know, wanted to downplay. And I guess I shouldn't begrudge either Martino or Drellich for not being able to get anyone to go on record with these quotes because Manford couldn't get anyone to go on record except for the Astros who stupidly self-snitched. And once Boston saw what the uh, repercussions were for what the Astros did and uh, understood that there were, there was no immunity deal 
because they already had immunity under the CBA. But I think the funniest part is the quotes by people on that team, supposedly dumbfounded by Cora's admission saying, uh, quote, we didn't even know what he was talking about when he was saying how, uh, you know, they knew what the, the pitches were before they'd even called them. And you didn't because literally your team was found guilty of doing the same thing in 2018, uh, except in that situation, there really was a fall guy, which was uh, JT Watkins. And for those that don't know, he was the video room guy in Boston who they pinned the entire scandal on when uh, the investigation went down. He got suspended in 2020 without pay, air quotes. And then after MLB's investigation, you know, they, next year, he serves a suspension in 2021, gets rehired and promoted by Boston. Uh, the book reveals he was supposedly receiving money under the table because, quote, we know what that guy did for us. You know where he works now, guys? I alluded it to in the cold open. He works with the Dodgers. The guys who uh, hire, you know, people straight out of this sign stealing stuff, uh, you know, the Yankees get Marwin, uh, the Boston rehires uh, Cora. Beltron came over as a, a broadcaster for the Yes Network. Even looking at um, Springer, Springer going to Toronto certainly absolves him of his uh, part in that. I just think there's just so much hypocrisy to go around. At the end of the day, this doesn't even really move the needle for me because we're just so far removed from all of this and the punishment. I just don't even really care anymore. Well, that's certainly where I am. Um, look, <laughs> the the forever record will include that the Astros cheated and they were the most accomplished at it, maybe with their system, but certainly in winning the World Series, direct cause and effect. No, you cannot prove causation uh, on that to whatever extent it, it did help them or help individual players. But uh, at some point, it's just where's the that's all folks part. Yeah. Every time the Astros would lose or lose a series or a game or what, or Altuve would have a batted bat, everyone would say, oh, it's a lot harder when you don't know what pitch is coming. Or well, Hershiser famously at a, mm -hmm. a Dodgers telecast did, did some of that. Sure. And, and, sh and, and look, I, the Astros are going to take their flog and I understand that. But on the flip side of that, who is a better case study of that than the Boston Red Sox who have been perennial basement dwellers since 20, 2018 in which the, the year in which they are implicated and served some sort of punishment for sign stealing. They've outside of that ALCS run, uh, they've been very, very quiet. They've been terrible as a matter of fact. So that is your ultimate example of if you don't know. The Astros have been six straight ALCSs, blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I, I can't. I just can't. Josh, you got anything to add on it? Because I can't. I'm done. I can't. Well, I mean, I just want to point out like Bill Plaschke's article about how he got skewered for suggesting that the Dodgers go after Carlos Correa because of the scandal, but they go hire the video room guy from the Red Sox to, to work for them. I mean, the hypocrisy is ridiculous. One final quote I thought was so great. It, it, it was basically the Cora thing with Hinch and them arguing. This is the final one. It says he blew up one day in the coach's office with AJ and said, you expect me to do all this stuff for 250 grand. And you know, all the other coaches are making like 75 grand. 
I'm not quite sure what that back half of the statement means, but it's just funny to me. Cora blowing up that the 250 grand was not enough for what they were asking him to do coaching wise. I, I thought that was really strange. Well, if the attributed Cora stuff is is true, uh, whether uh, small man syndrome, did he then get in his uh, little red Corvette that he just bought and, and drove home? Right, he was a fringe player as a as a major leaguer, uh, never a good everyday major leaguer. But look, hey, he carved out a ten year career and so forth. Uh, but if, if he's running around saying we stole the World Series, that is denigrating every player who actually was a part of yeah. winning. Yep. That World Series. And if there was chicanery involved in the World Series, so be it. But for Alex Cora to be puffing his chest out, taking credit essentially for, for winning the World Series, uh, that's a guy who was due his comeuppance and needed to get over himself a little bit. And uh, anyone uh, want to take the other side of the bet that uh, first media availability of Red Sox spring training, Alex Cora will go, we're just looking forward to the 2023 season. That's all in the past. Yeah. yeah, and this narrative goes along, too, with the, the A.J. Hinch maybe just wasn't strong-handed enough, where we have this quote saying that he should have fired Cora a long time ago. Oh, he was free. There's this, uh, on this subject, uh, Godfather reference, which obviously you guys get, but for anyone who might not, uh, just look up Fredo Corleone, and that's that that was AJ through this. I wanted to stop it, but I couldn't. I broke a TV or two, but I, I just couldn't. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't do anything. And Alex Cora was mean to me. Yep. Bingo. Outside of creating stupid lists that people are going to react to, Astros sign ceiling is literally the only th- other thing that moves the needle in the offseason for these guys. I, I, I understand it a little bit. And obviously we're talking about it, so it's working. But do you guys think that this, is, this has a lot less traction to it this time? I mean, obviously the media outlets have picked up on it because it's the new cycle. But do you guys feel like this is outside of maybe Dodgers fans? Maybe this gets them in a fervor, but I just don't really feel like there's a lot of heat around this, this time around. Societal attention spans have never been shorter period. So uh, in the, in the TikTok era, I, I just can't believe there's much appetite for more on this other than a specific revelation or Ooh, quote here or there. But uh, a rehash, a retelling of the tale, unless there's an amazing journalistic breakthrough in, in new information, uh, I, uh, I defer to my earlier shrug. Yeah. The only part that bothers me is you see, you know, Yankee and Dodger fans in the comments of these articles saying like, see, now we have proof. He admitted it. They stole the World Series. Based on this, we should be able to go back in the record books and, <laughs> and based off of some quote that Cora allegedly said, yeah. that's your proof. That while it, he was drunk. While he was drunk. That's your proof that, that they stole it and they wouldn't have wanted otherwise. Look, we'll never really know how that would have played out. You know, if, if there was no sign stealing. And in my opinion, I think the Dodgers are doing some of that too. That's something we should bring up. This book is supposed to also talk about some of the things the Yankees and the Dodgers were doing where they were doing some of this stuff too. But of course, that's not the splashy headlines and quotes we're seeing right now. You're going to have to uh, get that book on, uh, what is it, Valentine's Day? Yeah. And check that out, Brandon. So enjoy that reading. Hard yes. pass, I imagine. Uh, the one thing we should acknowledge look, if the roles had been reversed, and the Yankees had done what the Astros did do or perceived to have done, and the Yankees beat the Astros and went on to win the World Series, and it all came to light, Astros fans would be screaming holy hell about the whole thing. That's just the nature of the beast. On which side is your bread buttered? 
But the reality is it's the Astros who won that World Series and took down, you know, tentpole franchises every every step of the way. And that's never going to be changed. I'm, I'm going to take exception to Michael H. here as you guys aren't helping it go away by leading up the broadcast with it. That That is true. But also, we're not just taking it at face value and running with the narrative. We're also kind of poking holes in it just, just slightly for the sake of the hometown team. We talked about Beltran a little bit. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I thought, you know, easy kind of a transition because of uh, what we're talking about here. Carlos Beltran uh, announced, it was announced over the weekend that he's leaving the Yes Network to join the, the Mets front office. This is just kind of adjacent, not really a big deal, but you guys have any thoughts on, on Carlos Beltran leaving the Yes Network? Well, he was bad at the job. Yeah. Now, look, it was his first year, so to be thrust in a, a, that kind of high-profile role, the uh, Yankees actually hired a couple of Astros World Series champions, Cameron Mabin, mm-hmm. who was let go by Yes, and now Beltran. Interesting that he goes to the Mets front office. The fallout, he'd been hired to be their manager, never managed mm-hmm. a game. Buck Showalter, I think, is quite secure in his position, so he won't be looking over his shoulder but I wouldn't find it beyond the pale that the next manager of the New York Mets two, three years from now, and Steve Cohen's untested, right? Daddy Warbucks owner, and with everything else that he's done this offseason, if they don't win it and Buck Showalter's in his mid to, mid to late 60s, maybe Beltron winds up their manager uh, sooner than later. Uh, mm-hmm. But Carlos, he just seemed uncomfortable, and, and he, was, he was given too high profile a role too quickly. The man does know his baseball, and we'll see what he can contribute to the Mets. Yeah, I just find it interesting that so many of the people we know involved in all the signs stealing stuff and how bad it was, they've all found other jobs in, you know, AJ Hinch is managing a ball club and so is Cora. And now Carlos Beltran's going into the front office. Obviously, we we didn't have too big a problem with all this cheating if these guys are just allowed to come back in, in positions of power and and run teams to some extent. Maybe Beltron thought that he was going to the Yes Network to relay signs from the booth, mm-hmm. and they he found out they really want him to just call games, and he, that's just not his forte. I saw one commenter on social media say that um, he's like, "Well, hey, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora are coaching, uh, you know, he, so he didn't understand why Beltron was singled out." Uh, I guess that's like reason number eight thousand and seven that you know people who comment on this stuff do not read and did not read MLB's report. There's a reason why uh, Beltron was singled out. And that's because he was one of the people who helped uh, mastermind the system. So yeah, that's why he was singled out. Dumb, dumb. And he wasn't banished from managing the Mets made the decision. AJ Hinch got a job again because he'd won a world series here. Yeah. Uh, Alex Cora regained his job because he won a World Series there. Carlos Beltran was a bank blank slate as a manager, and the Mets just decided optics or eh, let's just let's just go another direction. Yeah. Speaking of the Yankees, uh, we had uh, Michael King, a Yankees reliever, had some a fun quote over the weekend. He was on with uh, I want to say it was MLB Radio, MLB Network Radio, and. They were talking about the Astros. One of the quotes was, he said, there's no chance an Astros team can stop us when we're rolling. I'm sure, in fairness, he probably wishes that he didn't say this now because of how viral it's gone. But what do you guys think about this quote? 
Well, let's give Mr. King the benefit of the doubt and attribute it to youthful indiscretion, inexperience, or uh, he was having a fine year out of the bullpen for the Yankees, broke his arm in July, season-ending surgery. Maybe they worked in a partial lobotomy, uh, a dual <laughs> uh, No chance. When the Astros went in and the, the first Javier started no-hitter game, weren't the Yankees like 97-2? and two? When the uh, they were on a pretty good roll, right? Running rough shot across Major League Baseball, and uh, whether you want to look at the history of the game, there's no such thing as an unbeatable team. No role can be unstopped forever, right? Some seasons end, you win the World Series. Were the Astros on a roll and winning the World Series? I think the Astros were just great more than anything else. It's not that they were on a roll. Uh, so Michael King, get healthy. And I'm sure the, the Astros will remember you the next time you're on the mound. And if you get them out, good for you. The quote on its face though, is just either stupid or we can use it for every team in every sport. When a team is on a roll, it's tough to beat, but anyone who goes absolute, but there's no chance the Astros could beat the Yankees when they're on a roll. Well, let's see the Yankees get on that roll then. These quotes kind of have a we want Houston vibe just written all over him to me. Uh, I mean, that, that's what it kind of feels like. Oh, you want it's Houston? Harmless oh. stupidity. Yeah. It, <laughs> how did that work last time? Keep doing it. And all the New York, I'm seeing a lot of articles out of New York saying like, well, there's actually validity to these comments. It's really Cashman's fault for doing such a terrible job at the trade deadline. And they weren't set up to succeed. And, and if they had, it would have been a different store. I mean, it's Man, they will defend this stuff and just make up crap <laughs> forever. It's easier than saying, hey, the Astros were just better than us this year, and hopefully we can get them next year. They, That's not in them. I feel like some of their fans are starting to be a little more like that now. They don't want to hear about the sign stealing. They don't want to hear about the excuses. A lot of it's the media, and really a lot of it's Brian Cashman. I mean, you know, making comments that he's going to put down officially that they were the ALCS champs in 2019 based on the core comments. I mean, just to jump to these, you know, next steps and leaps, it's the same thing with the Yankees saying a, a World Series got robbed from them because of the Astros, but wouldn't they have had to beat the Dodgers to get that World Series? I think you're missing a step there, guys. So anyway, a, a Yankee fan saying some absurd stuff, I'm not surprised, but Astros fans will remember, and the Astros will remember when they face them this coming year. And Yankee fans certainly have noticed that James Click was the general manager of the World Series champion. Brian Cashman, the general manager of a team that has not been to a World Series in going on 14 seasons. His deal was up, but he got a new three-year contract, so that's kind of stuck in Yankee fans' craws also. Yeah, I'm very happy about that contract extension. <laughs> well, <laughs> apparently there would have been two championships and or two two champions in 2017 because the Dodgers would have won by default and apparently the Yankees would have won by default and maybe they would have had a uh, a champion versus champion unification bout to see who the real imaginary champion of 2017 was i think it's funny to i think cashman you guys correct me if i'm wrong here and or correct me in the comments here was wasn't cashman the one over the weekend who said the way the fans complain about what happened last year, they act as if we weren't four wins away from the World Series. So you take that kind of like attitude from the front office, and then you take these kind of comments from Michael King. And what you start to understand is a team that's not really taking accountability for the results in the field. And how far has this team 
gone down since the George Steinbrenner days, all in to win every year. And there was no excuse for losing. And now you've got, so maybe it wasn't the amount of wins per se in the postseason. Maybe it was how you went out. And maybe that's what the fans are upset about. But again, from the Houston perspective, please carry on Brian Cashman. Hal, please give this man a lifetime contract because I like the cut of his jib. He does business good in New York and I want him to keep doing business like this. But let's not consider him the village idiot of general managers. Now, of course, with all their resources, you'd think anyone who's not a village idiot could field at least pretty good ball clubs, but they haven't had a losing season in 30 years. Yeah. Right. So to never dip, the Red Sox have finished last twice in the last four years. The Dodgers are on a decade-long run of averaging about 100 wins per year. But before that, they had some fallow years. The Yankees haven't in 30. But in New York, and really anywhere, right? the Atlanta Braves, their dynasty, the only won one World Series while winning 14 straight division championships. But with the Yankees, the, the little extra uh, kick in the gut on it, or a little lower, is that uh, it's not that you haven't even won a World Series. It's, you haven't been to a World Series. Mm -hmm. since since 2009 right there's a dice roll element to playoff baseball the best team in the regular season typically does not go on to win the world series but okay let's finish off the dice roll analogy if you're a yankee fan can you roll us one seven please at some point and the yankees have been coming up craps in the postseason over and over and over and it's been the astros generally kicking the crap out of them at least more so than any other team in this era of failure to get to a world series one of the reasons that uh the astros have constantly been contenders is because they have a good owner who he's not taking the hal steinbrenner approach he demands excellence and that leads to turnover in the front office which leads us to dana brown the astros new uh, gm and so Dana Brown's uh, new to the job. He's hopefully hitting the ground running behind the scenes and making decisions. And so as media, we get to prognosticate on what sort of decisions he's going to be making. And one of one such prognostication came from uh, MLB, this MLB network from, uh, mm -hmm. was it Chris Young? Am I, am I right on that? In fact, you know what, Josh, this was your story. Why don't you, uh, why don't you take this one and kind of set this up for us? Because there was, there's a lot of moving parts in here as far as like comparisons go. Yeah, you got it. He did a piece on MLB network, just kind of the checklist that, that Dana Brown should be running through as he takes on this new job. And for him, the, there were three things on the checklist, lock up, some young star players. The guys he mentioned was Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, because uh, Bregman has two more years left on his deal. Uh, the other one was sign your franchise player, Jose Altuve. He wants them to lock up Altuve till he's 38 years old. And then the other one was decide some pitchers to re-sign, whether it's Javier or Fromber, whichever way you want to go with that. And he just mentioned how Dana Brown was paying a lot of these guys early, these young players and that they should implement a similar strategy with the Astros. So he kind of looked at the Matt Olson deal, eight years, $168 million. He thought maybe something in that ballpark for Bregman might make sense. The Austin Riley deal, 10 years, $212 million. He thought maybe that's something that would be good for Kyle Tucker. And the one that really jumped out to me was the Michael Harris, uh, Michael Harris II's deal, eight years at $72 million. And remember how young a player he is. He, you know, he just won, what, Rookie of the Year last year, and they already extended this guy, which he pointed to Jeremy Pena. So I wanted to bring that up. Would that be crazy to try and sign Pena to an extension after just this one great year? I wouldn't say crazy, but I would say premature. 
I mean, he had a legendary postseason, and he had a fine rookie season, but it's not like he was an elite player. I mean, Jerry Pena, Jeremy Pena wasn't a top 50 major league player in, in 2022, and not that there's anything wrong with that, right? He was a rookie. Not everyone's going to be Julio Rodriguez. Um, but what's the rush? He's five full seasons away from free agency. He's not even salary arbitration eligible until 2025. If you want to make that kind of future bet, and the Braves have done it repeatedly, there also is a difference. Michael Harris Jr. is 21 years old. Pena is already 25. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go eight-year contract um, with Pena, that's taking him to 32-33. You weren't going to do that kind of length with Carlos Correa and his uh, apparently uh, ready-to-crumble ankle. Uh, of Of the names and particularly the numbers that you mentioned some of there, Josh, uh, Tucker and Riley, different positions, but guys in their mid-20s. Austin Riley's been an elite third baseman for two years now. Tucker's about there uh, among right fielders. And if you were to go as long as 10 years, that would get him to 35. Um, I'd prefer not go that long. But if you go longer, you're knocking down the average annual value, 10 years to 12. Just move a decimal point. That's $21 million per year. Kyle Tucker's probably thinking, well, that's kind of low. So then can you settle at seven years, 24 million per year or something? I, I think there is a framework of comparison with those two guys in particular. Yeah. I think it just, you know, before you say here's, here's a 10 year deal, I think you need to really find out who is Jeremy Pena. And after one year, I think the jury's still out because there was regular season Pena who was an okay player. Uh, and then there was postseason Pena, who was outstanding in the MVP of two series is on the way to a championship. Did he fix the mechanical issue? There was a leg kick that supposedly throwing off his timing. And so he's eliminated that. And this is how it goes with young players in, in the league. And we know this. They you know break out. There's a book on them. And then we see if they make an adjustment. I think it also has to do with where does he hit in the lineup, too. Uh, if he's hitting lower in the lineup, maybe he doesn't see the same juicy pitches that he got to see regularly in the postseason when he was hitting in front of Jordan Alvarez. I think I'd rather know what I'm committing to if I'm the Astros. I just think a fundamental point on this kind of topic, whether it's media, whether you're a hardcore fan, whether you're a fantasy player, you want to feel like you're in the game. So it's more fun to call for action. Do something. Do this. Make that happen rather than. Well, leave well enough alone. Bide your time. What's the rush? Uh, so in Jeremy Pena's case, what's the rush? They have bigger fish, more pressing fish to fry over the next two, three years than Jeremy Pena, who can't get to free agency until he'll be 30 years old after the 2027 season. I do see some positives. If you did try and do something like this, he's not going to cost you nearly as much as Kyle Tucker. If he if he is that guy from the playoffs and you get him at a bargain like this, if that is who Jeremy Pena is, that that is a steal. That is a great bargain if you get him around, you know, eight years, 80 million bucks, something like that. If if he is that guy from the playoffs, you'd sign up for that every day. That would be amazing. But we don't know that. So I understand why people are a little hesitant because you're right, Charlie, you don't have to do anything right now. So, you know, why risk it 
you know, see how the season plays out, see how he performs, as Brandon mentioned, see, you know, if there's more adjustments to be made. They don't have to do that right now. Yeah, it, it is interesting, though, that the Braves have this kind of strategy and, and it seems to be working for them. And we're seeing their farm system. There's not a whole lot left, <laughs> according mm-hmm. to these ratings we we're looking at now that all these young guys are in the big leagues making an impact. And it's kind of like the Astros, you know, with Hunter Brown and Jeremy Pena, all your super exciting young guys are are making an impact on the big league roster now. And and the most likely answer is that Jeremy Pena is both of those guys, because we, we talk about, you know, Tucker, you know, extending him, but Tucker's a perfect example. We talk about him being one of the greatest right fielders in the game right now. And he is, but what is his season like? It's a roller coaster. And he goes into these deep slumps that we explain with expected rates and this, that, and the other thing. We get into the the deep analytics when we start explaining how he's not really in a slump. He's just hitting it to the wrong place right now. So Pena realistically may be both. The real question is which player is he more for a longer period of time? And so we'll have to see. But he also talked about, uh, did Chris Young, about signing one of their their young pitchers. Uh, Big Poppy was at the uh, TriStar show over the weekend and was interviewed by Berman. And he, he said uh, the Astros should give Fromber a 10-year deal. Uh, I don't, that I think is stupid. That's, that's downright stupid. There are probably numerous reasons David Ortiz is not and is unlikely to ever be a general manager. A 10-year contract for basically any pitcher is idiotic. Fromber's 28 years old. Right. So it's not like he's 22 and okay, we're going to we're going to lock in young Roger Clemens for the long term or this Randy Johnson's figured it out. Let's do 10 years while he's 25 years old. And a player's going to have a player's back, I guess. Pay them all, pay them all whatever they want. Right. Um you know, if there was one guy, one Astro between now and opening day that we hear they've agreed to a 5-year contract extension with him. I might go with Fromber as the one that I feel best about. Right? It takes him from 28 to 32, 33 years old. He has a couple seasons of, of major league bona fides. And, you know, uh, Javier could just be a super duper star, or maybe he settles at a lower level than that. Um, you know, Garcia looks like a solid mid rotation guy. I don't know if he has a, a leap in him to a, a one or a, a two starter or Keedy, certainly a really good back of rotation guy. No one thinks he's a one or two starter. McCullers can tease you looking like a real ace, but the clock toward his next injury always seems to be ticking. Uh, so if I could secure the best bet to be a front of the rotation guy for me over the next five years, that's the way I would go which isn't saying I'm telling Kyle Tucker to pound sand and Christian Javier not interested. But if we could hear one guy's locked in with the Astros for the next half decade, uh, I would hope it's Fromber. I don't have much to add to that. I'd, I'd like to see Fromber locked up. But, hey, you got a couple more years. You don't have to rush it right now. Three years. And, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you can you kind of just wait it out, see how it goes, see how Jim Crane's feeling about this. you got a new GM. I'm sure he's got a lot of different new ideas and thoughts. So, you know, let him get used to learning the ropes a little bit with the team and his players, and and we'll see. I mean, everything's set up for him to have another amazing season, not just Fromber, but the team. So I might be inclined to just maybe wait, at least maybe wait for the first half of the season to develop before I'd want to make any any contract offers. One of the things that's definitely going to be on Dana Brown's plate and imminently on his plate right now is, uh, you know, kind of filling in that final spot in the Astros lineup 
And obviously the name out there uh, is still Yuli Gurriel as a guy who he's still unsigned. We got a little bit more information towards the end of the week last week about uh, Yuli's ask. And there was a lot of question marks about what he was asking for out on the market and why he wasn't signed yet. And there was a thought of, well, he's wanting too many years. He's asking too much money. Well, that got dispelled because basically what was uh, reported by, I believe, John Heyman last week was that he's asking for just $3 million and some playing time. And that's been tough for him to find. Charlie, are, are Astros fans going to kill Dana Brown if Yuli's available out there for $3 million and they don't take advantage of it? <laughs> well, I'll be silly and, and overreaction. There's a reason that Yuli's out there and the best he can seek at this point is one year, three mil. Uh, he certainly revived some in the postseason, but just as Jose Altuve starting the postseason 0 for 25 didn't mean he was washed up the end. It's not like Yuli Gurriel started chugging from a sustainable fountain of youth and he's going to be 2021 Yuli. What are you waiting for? Uh, I think Jose Abreu is secure enough and good enough that if you re-sign Yuli, he's not looking over his shoulder but if you're the Astros and Abreu is the new kid in town, if a 36-year-old guy could be the new kid in town, you know, has a two-for-19 stretch, do you want to do, hey, play Yuli, put, uh, put La Pina back in there? Uh, he also offers you uh, really no middle infield flexibility. You know, in an emergency, you could put him at second, but certainly not shortstop capable at this stage of his career. I guess in a pinch, you can stick almost anybody in left field, but he, he's not as – utility friendly as, as maybe some other guys are. So if no one else signs and Brantley's not going to be ready, I mean, 3 million is penny ante stuff in, in today's game. Um, but it's not like the Astros would be completely missing the boat. If they were to pass on Yuli Gurriel, given 29 other teams at this point have done the same. Yeah. I think Charlie hit on it with the utility role, you know, idea that, Dana Brown was on the flagship last week, and here's what he said when he was asked about Yuli is the realistic thing. And we talked about this last week on Sports Map, but I wanted to bring it up again. So the quote, the realistic thing is we have a Brayu at first base now. So at the end of the day, we have to look at maybe some other spots to strengthen the club. I think he's kind of telling you he sees Yuli as a first baseman and, and maybe not a lot more at this stage in his career. And if they're looking for a utility guy, they're going to want somebody that could play the outfield and play some of the middle infield spots a little more regularly. We talked about it. Yuli hasn't played any meaningful time at third base since 2019, back when Correa was hurt and Bregman had to kick over to shortstop. So it's just not something he's done a lot of lately. And the other thing we brought up, Dana Brown doesn't have loyalty to Yuli. He's new here. So I, I think it's either going to if it's maybe Dusty can make it happen with Jim Crane, like, man, roll the dice. It's three million bucks. What do we have to lose? So maybe it could go that way. It'll be interesting to see how much pull Dusty really has if he really wants Yuli or if we kind of talked about is he just trying to show support of Yuli, you know, with his comments. I think that'll be interesting to to really know the truth there, because really only probably Dusty knows that. I think loyalty is the only difference here because I, I think all things being equal, there's a reason why he's unsigned. No, it was you and John, right? You, John, you and John did a video on sports map talking about, does he see himself as, you know, Michael Brantley versus does he see himself as a Lidmus Diaz? Well, guess what? He's not going to make either one of those salaries right now. He would only be an Astros fan who looks at him and says, yeah, you should take a flyer on him for 3 million because that is the difference because all things being equal, 
you're not going to take a flight. And that's coming from, I, I want him back on the team. Like I do. I, I'd like to see Yuli back on this team. You know, Jim Crane, Dana Brown, you know, they, they don't suffer that sort of nostalgia and they're, they're going to look at this very pragmatically. And you got guys that you do need to extend. I, I just don't see it happen. I don't know that you can, not when there's a David Hensley there. And before you guys blow me up in the comments, say David Hensley's no Yuli. I'm not even saying that. I'm not even, I'm just saying that pragmatically speaking, that when you're talking about how do you build sustainable championship teams, cheap help is where the good teams separate themselves from the bad teams because they get production out of their low cost positions. Like a team like the Jeremy Pena, we talked about him exploding out of nowhere, replacing Carlos Correa and being super productive in the postseason at a 50th of the cost of Carlos Correa. That is exactly what good teams do. We talk about Jim Crane taking a chance on Justin Verlander for $25 million. That's what good teams do. You take advantage of a deal, and then when it costs too much to sustain, you let it go because you have depth and you have the ability to absorb the loss. Drayden McLean, he spent salary on players for what they had previously done and not for what they were going to do. More often than not, Jim Crane is paying guys that cheap contract for the upside, capitalizes on that upside, and then when guys are ready to turn that into a big contract, he says, go forth, blessed be ye, and go grab that bag. I'm quoting him directly on that. Mm. And that's how you do business in this league and, and win. Yeah. Well, with players in their 30s, you make a habit of giving long-term contracts. So you're going to have a, a lot of regret and, and liabilities. I mean, <laughs> Crane and and whoever the general manager is, Dana Brown now, James Click before, Jeff Luno before, they have total immunity at this point. Right? All they just have to say, and it's not up there yet. They'll save that for opening night or maybe the second night, the 2022 World Series medal pennant. Wasn't up there with the college tournament over the weekend. But they can just point to that and say, any other questions? You know, look at uh, American League champions and, and everything that they've accomplished. That doesn't mean they're infallible. And heaven forbid, Jose Abreu tumbles over the hill or tears a hamstring April 19th and Yuli Gurriel is off to a hot start with the Pittsburgh Pirates or, or something like that. Well, then you can trade a prospect and bring him back. Um, but more than anything else, this speaks – to the Astros as the good ship lollipop sailing straight back toward elite status. So last man on the roster is the only thing to quibble with because there's no mm -hmm. who's going to be the shortstop or my God, they have only two starting pitchers you're thinking are worth the damn going into this season or where's the bullpen depth, right? They basically have every box checked. So the 26th man on the roster, not worth chewing down the fingernails on over. Yeah, and, it, and it's a it's a topic for February too. Before we get to our because our our uh, bottom line question kind of dovetails off of that, but I we were talking about this uh, before this show because MLB trade rumors had post Tommy John players that could impact twenty twenty three. One of those guys was Forrest Whitley. Uh, Forrest Whitley was a highly touted pitching prospect for the Astros, fireball thrower. And has gone through all sort of he's had all sorts of troubles in his career, whether it's been uh, PEDs, uh, injury. Uh, it, it's just been it's been a pretty tough uh, road for him. 
Charlie, who's the best example of someone who's had a similar arc where they've been highly touted prospect and then hit rock bottom and then been able to rebound back up to a major league contributor? Because I couldn't think of any. A quick precursor to that, the track record of taking high school pitchers in the first round overall is just bad. So Whitley would just be one more of those who, who didn't pan out if it does not work out for him. And he's 25 years old now. Uh, when you pitched it my way, and and this guy's problems ran much deeper than, than Forrest Whitley's, but Matt Bush, who's 36 now and still hanging around the major leagues, part of the Milwaukee Brewers bullpen, had a couple decent seasons with the Texas Rangers. He's had two Tommy John surgeries since finally getting a, a chance, but those were the, the trivial portions of, of Matt Bush's tale. This was the number one pick in the entire draft at a high school, a native San Diegan. The Padres took him number one. Oh, the hometown hero. Uh, shortstop, but apparently just an entitled rhymes with sick. Um, troubled kid, bad kid, uh, stuff about him from his high school days. Just a punk. And and then it got worse. And ultimately, three DUIs later, one of them that he did not kill, but severely injured uh, a motorcyclist in Florida, like a 70, 70 year old motorcyclist. Uh, and Matt Bush wound up doing three years prison. As far as Whitley probably feels like his career has been in prison, but, you know, not no criminal element to it. And so Matt Bush, for all that, wound up converting him from infielder to pitcher in the minors and made it to the major leagues. And, you know, he can probably still throw 95. Uh, so that was the uh, the kind of rock bottom and, you know, great comeback story. You know, I don't know how great if you're that motorcyclist, if, if he's hopefully still alive. Uh, but in Whitley's case, it'd be a tremendous story. Tremendous story. Obviously, some mistakes of his own doing, the PED stuff, but injuries, unless you're not taking care of your body, what are you going to do? Uh, but the real performance issues, right? The little bit that he pitched for the Space Cowboys last year, just no command, walking like 25 guys in 33 innings, giving up a hit per inning after not having pitched at all in 2020 and 2021. So uh, that would be uh, much more hope or wing and prayer than expectation that he could be a, a post-Tommy John guy who could make it back. I mean, there's a long list of them who have. Right. From Adam Wainwright still doing it with the Cardinals to John Smoltz to the original, Tommy John himself, who pitched 15 years and wound up winning 288 games, the majority of those after he had the very first Tommy John surgery. Uh, but Forrest Whitley, at this point, that would be uh, buying a, a lottery ticket or betting on the long shot where you, you root for him, but you don't expect for him to get to that finish line. And not to mention our current AL Cy Young reigning uh, winner and Justin Verlander. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he did it too. Yeah, it feels like with Whitley, it'd, it'd just be icing on the cake if you ever got anything out of him. It's not something that you can expect. It would be a, a great surprise if that works out. Astros are pretty loaded in that bullpen, too. So even if he starts performing at a high level, you know, will, will he even get an opportunity this season? Probably not. You hold out hope. It was never he couldn't throw hard. You just wonder maybe more if he's one of those throwers than he really is a pitcher. It's Charlie mentioned he's wild. It just hadn't happened for him. You know, it's been a shame, but it's not over yet. So we'll see. It's what far as Whitley was hoped to be is seemingly on the cusp of what Hunter Brown might be. Yeah. 
It is, it is not over yet, and that is the crux of our bottom line question of the week. And I want to ask you guys, what percentage do you put on Forrest Whitley even making an appearance in the big leagues? I'm trying to set the bar real low. Our expectations are really low. So I'm trying to set it down to where there's at least some sort of challenge here. What percentage do you think Forrest Whitley makes the big leagues in some form? Not even that he's a good big league player. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it even easier. He doesn't even, I'm not even saying he makes the Astros big league roster. I'm going to allow for him to wash out in the Astros system and show up someplace else. Forrest Whitley, what's the percentage you guys put on him and making the big leagues? And this is not just for my co-hosts on this. This is for the commenters. You guys comment as well. We will read your comments after I get their thoughts. Charlie Goo. That he throws a major league pitch. I'm just the hopeless optimist, so I'll go 51% uh, only because you that is not an Astros-only thing. At 25 years old, unless he blows his arm out, uh, if the Astros you know, let him walk or he's included as a lesser light in, in a trade, that uh, he throws a pitch in the major leagues, which is enough to get you lifetime eligibility for the Major League Baseball medical plan, uh, I will, uh, by the slightest of margins – Go 51% that Forrest Whitley does throw a big league pitch at some point. Yeah, I mean, even Mark Appel, I believe, got like a minor league deal a few weeks ago. So it's not over till it's over. Uh, I'm going to hover around 50% too, but just to be a little different, I'll say 45%. I'm a little more pessimistic than Charlie. Mm, I'll be even more pessimistic. I'll say it's uh, around the 30% range. And again, that's only because I left it giant, like a giant out in him being able to, you know, be traded or wash out of the Astro system and end up someplace else. Uh, just because every team needs pitching and maybe he shows enough to where he can, like you said, Appel's a great example. And so let me go ahead and read our responses from our uh, chat David Wagner puts uh, 2% on that. And Jay Roberts says 20%, but for another team. Max Pitt says 40%. He throws a pitch in MLB. We have a vote for 15%. Good good name, Doba Fett. Jay Roberts says even Jason Lane threw an MLB pitch. <laughs> in the majors? Yeah, he actually had a few good innings with the Padres. Nice. I didn't know that. See, and I guess unless we have another one, that's going to be it for the bottom line, which means chances would be helped if we were still in the 40 man call-ups in September, where you can have all kinds of guys in the dugout, but with only a couple of call-ups to 28 man rosters that, uh, that will, that will hurt his chances. Some, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. So everybody, that's the end of this week's podcast. Uh, man, that really flew by. It must have been all of that Astro science stealing crap at the beginning that took up so much time. Uh, I want to thank Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan for joining me this afternoon. I want to thank the, the commenters for coming in and interacting with us today. Uh, until next time, until next week, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Ghost Rose.